Good morning, Door Creek. I'm Pastor David, one of the teachers here and uh, Northside Madison campus pastor. Glad to be with you this morning. Seemed like it's been a long time, but I'm here in the flesh, but, <laughs> but in the spirit, okay? So good to be here. Uh, so we will uh, be continuing our, our series, ending the series actually this week um, on what matters, and we're, we've been focusing on money. What does Jesus say about money? What does the Bible say about money? So really been focusing on uh, generosity, and we know that generosity can be displayed in many ways other than money. It can be displayed in time, you know, your, your, um, you know how you volunteer, um, things you do, people you take here, you take there, um, spending time with people, listening to people, praying with people. Um, there's no, those things are priceless. Um, but we, we've been focusing a little bit on money and what it means to be givers and what Jesus expects of us and how Jesus, the most generous man who ever walked the face of the earth, wants us to be like him, wants us to be generous, wants us to be kind and loving, and he wants our lives to continually to be transformed every day, right, by, re by the renewing of our minds. So we're going to be looking at uh, what Jesus says about generosity, but first I want to share some statistics with you about um, generous people. Uh, first of all, generosity is the quality of being kind and generous. And what happens when Americans spend generously? Well, in 2018, last year, Black Friday, Americans spent $23 billion. I know, woo, $23 billion. I don't even think I spent $23 <laughs> last year on Black, on Black Friday. Well, $23 billion. In retails in 2018, Americans spent $3.63 trillion. So we've been pretty generous, haven't we, with our spending, you know, um, Black Friday and, and retail all through the year. We've been very generous. Well, also, what happens when Americans give generously? Well, Americans' ch charitable giving in 2018 totaled $427 billion. And here, no, woo. That's a lot of money, isn't it? $427 billion, 68% of all charitable giving. Now, as far as religious um, bodies, the Muslims were the top givers, okay? Now, this is a, a poll that was earlier, and Jews were second, atheists, and then Christians were fourth, okay? So we got a little work to do, huh? <laughs> we got a little work to do, but that's okay. That's okay because, as I said, it's not about money. It's not money value. It's heart value. And heart value is priceless. You can't put a price on the heart because that's what Christ uses. He cannot spend our money. You cannot write a check to Jesus Christ. You can, but it will never be cashed. All right? So you can't. He doesn't need our money. What he needs is our heart. If he can get our heart, then he can do the impossible. If he can get our heart, he can do exceeding and abundantly. We got to give him our heart. We got to be generous with our heart, which will touch every aspect of our lives when we give him our heart. 
Well, Jesus gives us several lessons in the Bible. Jesus talked about money, you know, quite a bit. He talked about the talents. He gave parables and things. He talked about the woman with the mites and and, and all of these. He gives us great examples. But there are three principles that we should always look, look to when we are giving. Okay? There's three principles. And that is that we should always give responsibly. Okay? We should always be responsible in our giving. Okay? We should never neglect our home, our family, because we want to give to this or give to that. God has given us common sense, right? We should use our common sense, right? You don't get evicted out of your home because you want to um, uh, um, give to this charity. Okay? Take care of your business. Do what, That's being responsible, isn't it? All right. Well, the second one, you're going to say, well, if we did what you just said, don't do, that would be the second one, which is sacrificially. Now, sacrificially doesn't mean to uh, to get evicted out of your your home and, and because you're giving sacrificially means you have it, but you want to keep it. But instead, you want to bless someone else and it hurts or it, it's a, it's it's a it's a battle to give it but you're sacrificing it anyway by giving it i want to hold on to this 10 dollars matter of fact i think i got 10 dollars in my pocket <laughs> i, I want to hold on to this 10 dollars but if my brother here needs it and he says i need gas to get to get home i'm going to give it to him because he needs it even though i want it It's not going to cause me to lose anything by giving it to him. It's a sacrifice I wanted. I'm going to give it to him. I'm just playing, but he he didn't get my money. But (laughs) (laughs) sacrificial giving. There must be some battle, some struggle to it. It shouldn't be so easy like the men that threw in their their riches in the the offering as Jesus observed, but the woman who came with the two mites, she sacrificed because she had nothing else to go back to. She could have kept that, but she sacrificed. Thirdly, it's cheerfully. We should give cheerfully, right? If you're going to be frowning and mad and stomping up to the offering basket, just keep on moving. Just keep, keep your money. Keep your offering. We must give cheerfully. And that doesn't mean skipping up to the offering basket. Okay? It means giving out of a joyful heart because this is what God wants us to do. It means being grateful that God has given you in order for you to be able to give somewhere else. That's cheerfully. Not grudgingly. Not upset. Not, oh, they're making me. They're always asking for money. Well, then just keep your money, honey. God doesn't want it if we don't want to give it. He wants cheerful givers. All right. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Grab your Bibles. Your iPod, your iPad, your iPhone, or your eyeglasses. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at service, giving, and serve, how we serve in our giving. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. No one. No one. Okay? 
I don't care how multi-talented you are. You can multitask. Okay? Oh, I'm a multitasker. I can serve two masters. No one. That means you're not allowed to. It can't happen. It won't be. No one can serve two masters because to serve means you come under the tutelage or you come under the authority of that master. And you can't do that with two. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Now, not, not a literal hate, okay? It, it means in comparison to the love that you have for the one master, it looks like a hate. But God doesn't want us to hate anything, okay? He doesn't want to hate, hate anyone, okay? You must hate the one, love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Right? You cannot serve both God and money. He did, Jesus did not say you cannot serve God and have money. Right? He said you can't serve both of them. You can serve God and still have money. Money is not the root of evil. The love of money is, right? right? And if you love money, that means you will put it over God, meaning you are trying to serve God and you're trying to serve money. Listen, you should never serve money. Money should serve you. Amen. Right? They say stop working for your money. Let your money work for you. Don't be a slave to your money. You tell your money what to do. More money, go make me some more. It's called investment. Come on, money, be my nest egg for later on. It's called savings. Let your money work for you. You can't serve God and money. Because let me tell you something. If you try to serve money, I'm glad I got money in my pocket today. <laughs> and this was not a setup, really. I just happened to have $10 today. Now, listen. This is $10, okay? Money. You're going to serve money. Take a look at the back of your money. And there's four words in the back there. You know what it says? In God we trust. So even your money tells you. <laughs> even your money rebukes you. And tells you, stop trusting in me because I will go up and down. I will leave you all alone. Don't trust in me. Folks can take me from you. Don't trust in me. But in God, we trust. Hallelujah. In God, no one can do anything to God. God is not up and down. God is not moved by inflation. He's God. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So when my money starts, when the Benjamin starts telling me, in God we trust, <laughs> you better listen, right? In God we trust. So you can't serve both God and money. You can serve God and you can have money. But God shows us what we do. We give our money, we invest our money, we help others with our money, we do it responsibly, sacrificially, and cheerfully. We do those things, I believe we will be blessed. We'll be in obedience to God. Now there's some, there, there's some good truths about money. Okay? Uh, money used properly is a gift to have, right? Say amen if you agree. Okay, don't be afraid. Money makes ministry possible. 
Money is not evil. Okay? It's the people who have it. Right? Okay? There's myths about money or giving. One myth is God wants my money. What can God do with your money? It's not the bank of heaven. What can he do with our what can he do with our money? The pastor is getting my tithes. Have you ever heard that one? I have. I have. Get your tithes. Write the check out to me. Giving will get me into heaven. Myth? Amen. How about this? Money solves all of my problems. Myth? Mm-hmm. And then the last one, being rich will keep me out of heaven. That's a myth. God has nothing against you being rich. Huh? He just said, you know, just make sure you're rich toward heaven. Just uh, don't put your riches before. You know, when he says it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. He didn't say that the rich man could not. He just said that the temptation of putting your possession and your money ahead of God is so tempting. If you don't have it, it ain't tempting. But sometimes we put our poverty before God. Woo. I didn't say that one last night. That one just came to me. <laughs> That's a good one. I may write that one down for 1030. Sometimes, but isn't it true? We put our, if you don't have riches and you're in poverty, you put your poverty before God because you're always thinking on it. You're always harboring on it. You're always talking about God. You are the God of riches. God, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Why don't you give me some of that, God? I'm poor. I'm this and that. No, instead of glorifying your problems and your issues, look to Jesus, look to God and glorify him because he said he will supply our every need according to his riches and glory. He said it. So don't put your poverty before God. Don't put your riches, your wealth before God. Don't put your sickness before God. Don't put your health before, don't put anything before God. God is first. And he shares that spot with no one. We don't have a co-God. We have a God. Capital G. God, Jehovah, Almighty. So money, myths and truths. But Pastor, why should we give? Giving is an act of obedience. Giving is an act of faith. Remember, faith is an action. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a, I want to do it. I really have faith that I can do this. No, you believe you can do it, but it's not faith until you do it. Okay? Faith is, is, is doing it. Faith without works is, is dead, right? Being alone. <laughs> Giving is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. So, coming, growing up in our churches when, when I was a kid, whenever it was offering time, you know, our, our church passed the plate, it always felt like intermission, you know, because people would have side conversations, people kind of like our meet and greet, that's how kind of the, the offerings were. People would start talking, people would take out their chewing gum and, and chew it and, you know, check and make sure the kids, you know, it, 
Giving is an act of worship because we are bringing our gifts to God cheerfully. We are bringing our gifts to God sacrificially and responsibly. So it is a time of worship and thanksgiving because God has allowed us to be able to give. And remember, it's not the amount that you're giving. It's the heart that you're giving. It's the heart that you're giving. The spirit behind your giving. Paul wrote, I believe it was in uh, 2 Corinthians. He said, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. Don't go throw a few seeds out and think you're going to get a whole big yard of something. If you didn't sow it, you're not going to reap it. Now, God blesses us in many ways. It's not always apples to apples. It's not like I gave $10, God can give me $10 back. No, you gave $10, God may give you a job. God may give you a promotion. God may give you a great physical checkup. God may bless you in other ways. It's not money for money, okay? It's blessing, blessing, blessing. We bless God, he blesses us in any way he chooses. So we look at generosity and the big question is how does being generous connect to the gospel how does it connect to the gospel what the gospel is the good news right okay and remember what i said early on that jesus is the most generous man to ever walk the face of the earth hey he gave his all and he gave his best so the gospel (coughs) teaches us to be generous um, is um, give and it shall be given to you. Y'all know that one? Good measure. Press down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosoms. Give and it shall be given to you. If you are a giver, wouldn't it make sense for God to make sure you had something to give? What more frustrating place is it to be to want to give but you don't have it hmm? i mean you're just a you you you're just soaked with giving you are a giver when i see you i call you giver because you are so in love with giving so god wants to make sure you got something to give but if you're stingy living like this can get nothing in, can't get anything out. If you're stingy, why would God want to give you or bless you? Because you want to hoard it all to yourself. No, Jesus taught us to be freely givers. Freely you have received, freely you shall give. Gospel empowers us to be generous. It teaches us and it empowers us. There's a transformation that happens when we are in the right place, the right time, and we allow the Holy Spirit to move upon us. Remember Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he? Y'all know that song? 
He climbed up on a sycamore. Okay. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Okay. Listen. He wasn't just a manager, supervisor. He was a chief tax collector. That means he had access to things that others did not have. He was a wealthy man. He was despised in Jericho. He was one of the most despised men in Jericho because he was a thief, because he took more than what should have been taken. He was stealing from the Jews. He was taken, you know, for the Roman Empire. He was cheating people, and he became a wealthy man by cheating others out of their money, taking more of the taxes. So Zacchaeus heard about Jesus. And Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming through Jericho. So because Zacchaeus was a little man and there was a crowd of people that wanted to see Jesus also, Zacchaeus could not see over the crowd of people. Jesus is coming and Zacchaeus is short and he's... Jumping up, trying to see Jesus, but he can't see him because, you, you know, you can't jump up and stay up, right? You've got to come back down. So what he says is, I'm going to go ahead of the crowd, and I'm going to climb up a sycamore tree so I can see Jesus. So Zacchaeus climbs up the tree, and he goes, and he's, and he's in the leaves, and he's probably trying to camouflage himself in the uh, sycamore fig tree so that maybe Jesus wouldn't see him, but he would see Jesus. But let me tell you something, people. You can't hide from Christ. You can't hide from Jesus. He sees you amongst the leaves. He sees you where you're trying to camouflage and where you're hiding. He sees you. So Zacchaeus was so interested in seeing Jesus, little did he know, Jesus was more interested in seeing Zacchaeus. Listen, Zacchaeus thought he was looking for Jesus, but Jesus wasn't lost. Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was lost. We often say, I found Jesus, and I'm so glad. Listen, Jesus was never lost. (laughs) Jesus found you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Zacchaeus thought he had it under control. He's up in the tree, and his life is on a limb. I'm so glad God delivered my life off of that limb. Ooh, glory to God. Many of us, our lives were out there on a limb. And Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. Sham it down the tree. He said, today I'm going to your house. What? Wait a minute. (laughs) Jesus is inviting himself to my house. Jesus, I didn't give you an invitation. I didn't say, come, you know, come to my house. Listen, Jesus, it's okay. I'll let you come to my house. But listen, I got to straighten some stuff up. I got to clean my house up. I got to get it looking nice and clean and good for you. Listen, Jesus said, I didn't come because your house is clean. I come to help you clean your house. I came to clean you up. I come to make you holy. I come to develop you. Stop trying to clean things up before you allow Jesus in your house. Let your mess show because he's going to clean it. He'll find that T-shirt under the the, the, the cushions. He'll find that dust that you're sweeping under the rug. He'll find it. Ain't no need of you trying to hide it. So Zacchaeus wasn't prepared for Jesus to invite himself to his house, but he welcomed Jesus gladly. 
key point, people. He welcomed Jesus gladly. He didn't make excuses. He didn't justify. He didn't say why Jesus shouldn't come. He welcomed him gladly. Jesus came to his house. Now, when you read the story in the 19th chapter of Luke, you will realize that Jesus, in, in, the, in the scripture, Jesus never said a word. He never preached. He never um, broke out the scriptures or anything to Zacchaeus. He never told him about, you know, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He never did any of that with Zacchaeus. He just called him down, invited himself to his house, went to his house, but because Zacchaeus gladly welcomed Jesus, transformation began to happen. Oh, follow me on this. Because he gladly accepted Jesus, welcomed Jesus, a change began to happen in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. Wealthy, he could have had anything he wanted, but here he was. And the people murmured murmured and, and muttered and talked about Jesus going to a sinner's house. Jesus said, I come to seek the lost. I come to heal the sick. The whole need not a physician. I leave 99 to go after one. Jesus, this was a perfect setting because he gladly opened his heart. And when Jesus came into Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus stood up and he said, if I have cheated anyone, I don't know why he used the word if, <laughs> eh? because you know you did. I don't come to Jesus and say, if, if I hurt that person, you know you did, right? If I have taken anything from anyone, I'm going to pay him back four times. Four times. Four times. Jesus, did Jesus tell him anything as far as what we know? No. Then he, he didn't stop. I mean, Zacchaeus was moving, but he was, he was testifying. He said, and... I give half of my possessions to the poor. This is a wealthy man. Wealthy people don't usually talk like that. I give half my possessions to the poor. What was happening to Zacchaeus? The presence of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ was changing his life. He was no longer thinking like the old Zacchaeus. He was no longer thinking like the heathen Zacchaeus. He was now experiencing a change from the very presence of Jesus Christ. Isn't it powerful that Jesus didn't have to speak a word? All he had to do was show up and be present in his life and his heart changed. Hallelujah. Do you know the blessing, the privilege that we have that the presence of the Lord is in this place? And if we welcome him gladly, he will transform us. He will change us. You'll find yourself loving people you thought you couldn't love, forgiving people you thought you couldn't forgive, inviting family members over for Thanksgiving you thought you'd never do it. <laughs> you thought you'd never sit at the table eating stuffing and dressing with him or her. But something happened, a change, something got a hold of you, and it changed your life. Transform. Zacchaeus is giving his stuff away. He's paying back four times, all because of the very presence. Whoo, glory to God. The very presence of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, the generosity of Jesus. 
to show up at his house. How wonderful for Jesus to invite himself to our house. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man let me in, I will come in and I will sup with him. Will you let him in? Will you let him in? When you let him in, don't just make him stay in the foyer. Tell Jesus, come in, make yourself at home. You can go anywhere you want to go. In the master room, you can go in the guest room, you can go in the den, you can go in the basement where a lot of stuff is hidden. <laughs> you can go in the attic where I don't even know what's up there. See, you let Jesus in, he'll search your whole life. David said, search me, O Lord. He will come in and search you. He will clean you. He will develop you. He will grow you because you gladly welcome him. You say, Jesus, make yourself at home in me. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in us. Amen? So Jesus, he empowers us. And lastly, the gospel exemplifies God's generosity. God, do you believe God is generous? John 3.16, you, you can turn to it or you, you probably know about it. It is right here. John 3.16, this is how, see, the gospel, the gospel is about loving, it's about giving, it's about believing, and it's about eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's what the gospel, good news, right? It's a good news. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, first of all. God so loved the world. That so loved the world is not, God didn't just ordinary Love us. He so loved us. That means abundantly. That means he went beyond measure. That means he is so moved by the love that he has for us. It's not a love. It's not a conditional love. It's an unconditional love. He so loved us that it moved him to give, that he gave. He gave his, he showed his generosity by giving. What did he give? His only son, his one and only son, which tells me that God gave everything he had. It was a sacrifice, it was responsible, and it was cheerful because he so loved us that he gave his only son. He didn't have another son to go back to. He gave his only son the best he had. That whoever Believes in him. Look, he's doing it with justice. He's doing it with unbiased. He's doing it. Whoever, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no matter what your economic status, no matter what your educational status, no matter how mean you were yesterday or this morning, whoever believes in him should not what? But have what? eternal life. Look at the generosity of our God. He could have said, this scripture could have said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life for a thousand years. <laughs> he could have put a number on it and we would have been okay with that, wouldn't we? If he would have said 10 days, 100 days to be in God's presence, we would have been okay with that. But God was so generous that he said eternal life, which means there's no cutoff. There's no deadline. There's no expiration. There's no maturity date. 
a million years, we'll still be with him. Yes. Hallelujah. Woo, that ought to make you happy. Yeah. A million years, 10 million years, we still have eternal life. He doesn't cut it off. He doesn't end it. Look at his generosity. Look at the generosity of the gospel. None, we know we don't deserve eternal life, but thank God he gives it to us anyway. But you got to believe. You got to accept Jesus Christ. You got to accept his son in order to get the eternal life. Whoever you are, if you believe, you get it. You get eternal life. You get eternal life. You get eternal life. You get eternal life. Look under your chair. Everybody gets eternal life. <laughs> Everlasting no end. No one would tell you, it's over. Go home now. No. I don't have to be in a hurry. I don't have to push anybody out the way and say, I want to talk to Jesus by the river. I got eternity. <laughs> And guess what? I don't have to physically be next to him because I'm in his presence. I'm in his presence. And his presence will do exceeding and abundantly. Remember the thief on the cross? One chided Jesus, told him, you did things, you did it for yourself. Why don't you, you know, you did it for others. Why don't you do it for yourself? Get off the cross. And the other thief rebuked him and said, leave him alone. This man deserve, doesn't deserve what he's getting. We deserve what we're getting, so leave him alone. And then he said, Jesus, when you go, on, when you get into, go into your kingdom, remember me. Now, Jesus did not say a word to that man prior. He didn't preach to that man, did he? He didn't break out the scriptures and say, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God. He didn't say anything to the man. He lived a life of generosity and his very presence transformed that thief. And he said, when you go into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus said, I will remember you in paradise. I will remember, I'm paraphrasing it. Jesus gave him eternal life. They're on the cross. He didn't say a word to him to get the man, but because he saw the generosity, the generous love that Jesus had, that God showed through his son, it transformed and changed his life. Folks, let's not make it harder than what it is. A transformation in Jesus is very, is, is, as 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 as. Basic, and, and I don't mean to, to, to put it down or make it seem nothing, but it's as basic as gladly receiving him into your heart. <laughs> it's, it's that easy. And the man did. He got eternal life. We have such an opportunity to live and enjoy the essence and the presence of our Savior. And when it comes to generosity, and we talk about it, you know, um, there are people who, who promote uh, what we call, what they call the prosperity gospel, where they say, oh, it's God's will that you be rich and that you have fancy cars and that you have all these material possessions. That's God's will, you know. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. 
even as thy soul prospers. They forget that part, right? Yeah, God wants you to have things. And then there's the other side, and the other side of the other end of the pendulum, it says God wants us to have the vow of poverty, meaning he doesn't want you to own any possessions, any material things. Well, neither one. Hey, we have to find what it is that God has designed for each and every one of us, and in whatever state we are in, to be there content. To be content. Because God has poured out a measure of faith and, 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 and blessings and gifts to every one of us. And if we live therein that, we will receive the generous gifts, the generous grace, the generous mercy, the generous love of God will be poured down upon us. So generosity done right is done with integrity. It's done with justice in Psalms 112 and 5. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. When generosity is done right, it's done with humility. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand do. You don't have to be on the streets showing everybody your arms and what you're doing. It's done right when it's done with love and charity. As 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, if I give all my possessions to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, it gains me nothing. Okay? It's got to be done with love and charity. When generosity is wrong, when it's done with guilt, when it's done grudgingly, and when it's done with the expectation of getting something back. Okay? We don't do it to get something back. Remember, God gave his son. He didn't lend him. Jesus wasn't alone. Okay? He gave to the death. Jesus died, but he got up again. I conclude with this. Those who follow Jesus should excel in the grace of giving. You're a follower of Jesus. You should excel in the grace of giving. Giving is an expression of the love one has for Jesus. God loves willing and cheerful givers. It doesn't mean he hates the others. He's just telling us how to give. A willingness to be generous in giving is more important than the amount given. Our giving will result in praise and thanksgiving to God. That is always our goal. And lastly, our giving should be a natural response to God's gracious gift to mankind. And God's gracious gift is Jesus Christ. And we should have a natural response to that, which makes us throw our hands up and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving yourself and giving your life. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, this morning, maybe you are on the fence. Maybe you're a straddler. One foot in, one foot out. But you would like to get both feet in. And be a follower, devoted follower of Jesus Christ this morning. The word of God says, as we read in, in John 3, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul reiterates that in Romans. When he's in Romans 10, he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if we pray the prayer, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so this morning, 
If you will pray that prayer with me, you can pray it out loud or you can pray it in silence. That you will accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Repeat these words. Dear Lord, <coughs> I confess that I'm a sinner. Forgive me <coughs> for all my sins. <coughs> Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Died for my sins. He rose for my life. Today, by grace, through faith, I am saved in Jesus' name. Amen.